This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I was um, on a team to Indonesia and we came back on Saturday morning or Friday night, very late, some Saturday, but um, so the, the body's clock is a bit out. I'm still thinking it's... It's midway in the day, so I woke up at like four o'clock this morning, wide awake. So, um, so I'm going to preach tonight as if it's the middle of the day. Lock the doors. Amen. I'm going to preach till midnight. <clears throat> Is everyone all right there at the back? Ushers, shop, shop, PD. Okay. When PD smiles, then everything is okay. Uh, I started this morning with um, a series that we'll be doing the, the next couple of weeks in the morning and the evening. We're going to look at certain characters and um, talk about the burden of the Lord or God's burden bearers. Now, the moment when you think of the word burden, you think like, oh, you know, you think like, don't put any burdens on me, okay? Um, but it's very scriptural that we enter into the yoke and the burden of the Lord. And many people don't know what that means because especially in the West, we um, have a bit of a consumer mentality when we come to God. We say, I'm going to go to church uh, and not realize that we are the church. And every day when you serve God, your whole life, your temple, this body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you and I have this freedom to to glorify him or we can live for ourselves. You can take all the benefits of the Lord and you can be prosperous and the Lord will give you peace and all that stuff. But at the end of, the, of your life, you will be very dissatisfied uh, and still go to heaven. But there's so much more. There's a hunger that God is stirring in so many people's lives all across the world where we sort of get dissatisfied with what the world gives us. And as we were going and traveling through to all these little islands and these little boats and all this stuff and just from one island to another. One of the things that really struck me was a couple of years ago, I think it was 1864, around about there, there were some missionaries that came to these areas where we went to reach out, very rural, out there in the Hamadulas. And um, do you like my shirt? It's, it's real Indonesian, okay? Sorry, you can't have it, okay? But in any case... Let's see the one I'm going to wear next week. Okay, come to church, don't miss. Okay, but in any case, not really my style, but my daughters like it, so hallelujah. Okay, when, I don't care what the rest think, as long as they like it, then I'm allowed out of the front door. But so, what was I saying? Why do you interrupt me? Oh, yeah, the islands. Okay, so the, these missionaries were coming to the, um, came to the islands, but most of them, do you know, when they packed up their stuff there in the Netherlands or in Germany, they had a specific way of coming to these islands. They would actually bring their own coffin with. And they would say goodbye to their extended family, him and his wife and his children, and they would embark on this journey to go to these cannibal tribes. And some of them were eaten. Some of them were just like, most of them died. And it was a privilege if your body was actually taken back to England or the Netherlands where you came from. Many of them for 14 years, they were there for 14 years and only saw 10 converts. 14 years of hard labor in the mission field. And yet now, that area that we specifically went to, where these two German uh, missionaries went to, there are hundreds of churches. Hundreds. It's, it's called the Christian hub of, in Papua of this 
the Indonesian country, the biggest Muslim country in, in the world. And yet that area where those two or three or four missionaries came to today, there's an inheritance, there's a legacy in that place. And, and yet we are sometimes as Christians and modern day Christians, we are conned, we are tricked by the devil just to want to see things now. We want a breakthrough now and we want God to do it now in our lives. And so part of this carrying this burden of the Lord is where you and I begin to say yes to something far greater than just ourselves or our destiny or our prosperity or our breakthrough. And this morning I spoke about Amos, which was a prophet in the Old Testament, and his name was the burden bearer. Tonight we're going to talk about Nehemiah, and we're going to talk about a couple of these characters, because you know what? Most people in the Bible were not called to a place of comfort. Most of the vision or the destiny that they were called to were called, they were called to a place of great, great frustration. Most of their visions were born out of a place of frustration, a place of that thing that they just had to like wrestle with God. And, and then there was this place with God that they stepped into and, and they realized that that is not a burdensome place, a negative place. It is actually, I've been made to do something like this. You know, um, so God will, is never supposed to be just an add-on to your life or just like, hey, the tick boxes, you know, the first three years, maybe in my life at varsity, I go on missions. But when I strike fourth year, do you know what? Done that, bought the t-shirt, rather go and, I almost said CrossFit or surf or do something like that for the rest of my life, but not, nothing against those people. But so, Nehemiah was a cupbearer and he was in the king's palace. He was very comfortable. He had no problem with anything around him. And he was like, he was the dude there. It was just like, probably a bit tense sometimes because you had to like drink the cup and make sure that there was no poison in so that, you know, the king doesn't die. But his name was God's comforter. And so Nehemiah came to this place where God took a hold of Nehemiah when Nehemiah wasn't looking for it. He wasn't looking for God. But, but a, a sort of a report came to him and then some people say Nehemiah or Nehemiah, whatever part of the world you come from. But he was probably used as one of the people that just an ordinary person that stood up and said yes to the call and the will of God. Not just for him, but for something much greater than him. It was called the nation of Israel and the rebuilding of those walls. So let's go to Nehemiah 1 verse 3 to 6. And this is sort of where Nehemiah enters into this, this brokenness and this place where he realizes like, whoa, how can I be so blessed? How can I be so prosperous? And yet the walls of Jerusalem lies in ruins, the city of God. And listen to this, this is where it comes to him in verse three. And they said to me that the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. This was after the Babylonians conquered and was take, took Israel and Jerusalem captive. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I say, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night, night and day for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house 
and I have sinned. So he calls upon this place and he says, God, I realize like, I'm so blessed, but what if Stellenbosch lies in ruins and this university that's been called to be a Christian university is going so immoral, so liberal, everything goes but except the word of God. He says, God, your, your city lies in ruins, your redemptive purpose for this place. And, and yes, I'm blessed, but I cannot be comfortable just by having a nice existence with you. And then he entered into that call. I loved what John Yip said this morning. There's a, there was a group of 25 people from different nations that are visiting Stellenbosch for, for three months with sports ministry. And he says he teaches them three things. Die, call, commission. Come and die. And then receive the call of God. And then go and be commissioned to go into all the nations. We had people from the Middle East, from Africa, from all places here this morning. Come and die. That is the message of Jesus. Come and die. <laughs> you know, the modern day is no, 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 come and live and then die later. And the essence of the gospel is come and die so that you can live. Lots of people want to change that around. And so, so the Lord has got a will for our lives. And all of us respond differently. Now, he's got an individual will for you. He's got a will for us as a church. But he's also got a will for South Africa and for Stellenbosch. And, and he invites us to say, I, I want to share my mysteries. I want to share my prophetic word with you. I want to release over you. I want to I share stuff with you. So the question is not, can you trust God? The question is, can God trust you and I? The question is not, do you trust God? The question is, can God trust us? And so the Lord must hold back, especially on a lot of charismatic people, because hey, we will destroy, we will, we will actually die when God's glory really begins to manifest. But Nehemiah was in a different space and God is raising up a Daniel generation and a Joshua generation and somebody like Nehemiah that said, hey, I realize my eyes have opened up that with everything I see, there's, there's something great and, and God invites me to that. And so, so the Lord said this many times. Jesus spoke about this burden. I spoke about it in the morning. I'm just gonna, this morning, I'm just gonna quickly recap. Matthew 11, verse 28. Going to the New Testament, we see a lot of people in the Old Testament being called to bring God's people back. Isaiah, you know, he saw the Lord and then he goes for the rest of his life. He goes to those same hard-necked and stiff-necked people and says, hey, come, repent. Turn back to God, Israel. Amos, like I spoke about this morning, he was like Israel was prospering so much and yet they thought it, the prospering came from God. And Amos says, no, return to the Lord. Come back to him. Your hearts are wicked, he says. There's so much social injustice in Israel, he said. But Jesus came to this and this, we love the first part in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'm humble, Jesus said, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. He says, come to me. If you have a burden that the world puts on you, maybe you have burdens of fear, anxiety, unbelief. There's a lot of burdens that come from the outside that are there to crush you. Maybe it's depression, maybe it's sickness. There's a lot of burdens and Jesus says, come to me. I want you to exchange that burden for another burden, for another yoke. And you know, many Christians don't want to, they, they want to give the stuff to God, but they don't want to receive that burden from the Lord. 
They don't want to say to the Lord, yes, God, I, I want to live in that space because I realize that when I give that stuff to you, I'm set free. I'm, there's liberty and I can live in this free world, this free space with you because you give me peace, you give me joy. But they never go and say, okay, Lord, but what does it mean that your yoke is easy? What is your yoke? That your burden is light. What is your burden? And so that burden is the task, the service, the call of God upon your life, the work of God. And it starts with trusting. It starts with believing God. And so he says these three things, and there's a lot of scriptures that you can go and read. First Peter 5 or 7 says, cast your cares, cast your burdens upon the Lord. Proverbs 3 talks about it. John 15 talks about abiding in the vine. So always, before you try to do anything for God, before you try to change the world or anything, the first thing is come to Jesus and exchange your sins for forgiveness, your burdens for his life. Come to me. And then he says, take my yoke. He says, first come, it's an intimate relationship with, with him, but then he says, take my yoke upon you. And that's Picture shows it so beautifully. The yoke is that he referred to those two oxen. And he says, basically, hey, I want you to learn how to yoke with me. And the yoke is that you actually come into partnership with Jesus. Jesus is going to learn and teach you some stuff. And so these two oxen were, were put together so that their strength can be, they can be pulling together. And so if the one oxen is much stronger than the other oxen, you're going to just go in circles. So you have to learn as a Christian, what does it mean to walk with Christ? Now, some of us, we have this personality that we just want to outrun Jesus, you know. <laughs> God says something like, ooh, there we go, you know. But then you're going to go in a circle. Now, some of us are like, hold back, hold back. We need 50 signs before we actually follow God. But yoking actually means, and it's beautiful. The scripture talks about entering into the rest of God. To rest in God is not a ceasing or a stopping of works. It's just that sweet spot, that, that ability to partner with him, to be in step with God. And this is what Jesus invites us to. He says, come and learn from me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you how to partner with me. So as a Christian, I'm not doing things for God. I'm doing things with God. So when you are in class, the beautiful picture, you know, when you're sitting there in the faculty tomorrow, then just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? I want to be part of that. I want to yoke together with you. And it's beautiful because those two yokes, the picture shows it there, that that yoke was made perfectly to fit each one of these oxen. Some were bigger, some were smaller. So it was not frustrating. It was not irritating. It wasn't too big for you. If the yoke was too big, the ox would really pull strongly or very not effectively. That yoke, that part that you're wearing on the left side and Jesus on the other side, it's amazing. It fits perfectly. So God's will fits perfectly for your life. I mean, so it's, it's, not, it's not about trying to be like somebody else. And so when we were there in Indonesia, it was so amazing to me because we, we visited um, Tani Suzette Hutting's ministry. Love Papua Ministries. And the most exciting thing for me was like the preachers... And the cleaners on the same spiritual level. And they've got a motto. They say, each one receives the same reward, the sower and the reaper. Because we're not competing with one another. But each one is yoking. And that's why it's so important that you and I, when we come to God, we must cast off those burdens that the world gives and puts on you. But you must learn that there's, there's something God wants me to do. 
And it flows out of being with him. It flows out of being in him. Because if I'm connected to the vine, I will produce fruit. I don't try and produce fruit. So what we want to do is we want to produce fruit and then we want to bring the fruit to Jesus. And the Lord says, no, no, I want to teach you tomorrow morning when you wake up. I want to teach you how to yoke with me. How, how to live with me. And that's why when you have this revelation that your temple, this body of yours is a temple of the Holy Spirit, means he dwells inside of you. Whoa, what a freedom. It's the mystery of the ages, Scripture says. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's this big lie. There's a massive lie in the devil conjure. He thinks that firstly, you can only be spiritual when you come to church or when you go to small group or when you go to intercession or when you have your quiet time, then you're spiritual. Switch God on. But when you walk out there, switch God off. It's the biggest lie. Because every day, God wants you to work with him. And that's so amazing when you really enter into the rest. Don't run, outrun God. There's some of you that outrun God and then you burn out. But there's some of you that are too slow. You're waiting behind. You're just always like saying, no, 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 that one will do it because he's more spiritual than I. Or that one has a bigger call than I. Or that one, you know, and it was so amazing. I don't, I hope the guys won't mind, but we had this couple of days into the mission and then I allowed an opportunity for each one to share. So each one had to come and stand in front and say, what is, what do I struggle with? Or what's the fears in my heart, you know? And the crazy part is each one probably had a fear of, I'm not good enough, or of unbelief, or even on the mission field, because hey, we're all human. But we're so scared to say that to other people. We're so scared to be real because with others and authentic with others because we think like, I, I must be super spiritual and I must portray this performance thing on the outside while entering into God's rest, meaning like I'm doing exactly what he's telling me to do. And I'm not afraid that I'm going to miss it. Why? Because I'm yoking with him. So a lot of people are afraid, like, what if I marry the wrong woman? What if I marry the right, the right, no, right guy? Then hallelujah, I mean, okay, that, that's, that's cool, you know? But a lot of people, we make our decisions based on fear. And I'm, I'm not good enough, and, and, and when I'm good enough, then I'm going to step out and be bold. And the devil cons us, because the Lord says, my yoke is easy. I'm going to teach you how to do it. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit, amen? Listen to what Jesus said about the will of the Father. John 4, verse 35, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Um, I read the wrong scripture. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. There's an exclamation mark. Okay, so that's how we read the scripture. But so, was the right scripture, just the wrong way. So, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father. I want you to turn to your neighbor, tell them the best pudding that you like, the, 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 your favorite. Okay, let's see some hands. Who's the malfa and custard people? Okay, okay, okay. There's the malfa and the custard. Who's the um, chocolate brownie people? Uh, okay, ice cream, ice cream, okay, milk tart, okay, vegetables, repent, repent, 
The Lord did not send vegetables to Elijah. He sent him meat and, and bread. Amen? When he was running away from the Lord. But in any case, let's not go into that doctrine. Now, now imagine, and I'm going to get you all hungry. Imagine that, like, that, that, that food that you really like and you go like, Oh, this is amazing. Now, Jesus said, to do the will of my Father is my food. For many people, it's a scary place because they think like, there's this perfect world and I'm so afraid I'm going to miss it. Every step and I need to know exactly what it is that a lot of Christians just withdraw because they think it's something they must do while it's actually to enter into the rest of God. God has made you to do his will. God has placed you to live in this place, maybe to study here, to be in that faculty, to be in that family. You're already in his will. Once you've called on the name of Jesus, you are in his will. And all you now need to learn is, okay, God, I want, I want to know as I go every step. Because I always thought like, God has got this perfect, perfect will for what I must do for the exact 30 next years from now on. And then he's going to, once I know that, then I'm going to start to follow him. And it's not, you must first follow him, first take the first step. Why? Because it's about obedience, it's about faith. And once you take that step, you learn to yoke with him. Amen. Some of us are praying the wrong prayers. <laughs> it should be, Lord, I surrender to your will, not Lord, what is your will? And lots of his will is already shown in scripture. Some of us get so spiritually minded that we are of earthly no use. I quoted that from somebody else. I don't know words, but it sounded good. But in any case, so listen to what Charles Finney. Now, Charles Finney was a guy that God used amazingly and um, for great revivals, and he was an intellectual guy. So he uses four things, and he talks about the will of God, this, this burden of the Lord, this, this place where you say, yeah, Lord, I, I want to... I want to have your yoke. I want to have your burden for my life. That thing that stirs, that thing that I'm passionate about, that thing that I'm hungry. And I'm going to say no to a lot of things because God, I want to do your will. And that's what's so powerful about the cross. Jesus surrendering in Gethsemane saying, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. The start of the Christian life is a surrendered will. First salvation, being born again, but then the process is to surrender your will, to surrender your will. A lot of people think like, hey, I must just use my will so that I can become a better Christian. And the harder I try to break pornography, the harder I try in the flesh, the harder I'm going to conquer it. But the Lord says, no, bring me your will because you can't do it in yourself. I want you to yoke with me. And once you realize that you are set free because it's not just you, you're actually like, wow, God's will for me to know him is much greater. God's will for me to know that who that husband or that wife is is much greater than my just trying out and so being afraid that I'm going to miss it. Because now I'm beginning to pray the prayers of worship and thanksgiving, not the prayers of out of fear. A lot of people pray out of fear. Oh God, I'm so afraid that I'm going to miss your will. So Finney says it like this. He says, to accept his will as our universal rule of action. He says, first, you must accept his will. God has got a perfect will. It's a perfect, good, and pleasant will. So first, you need to learn how to accept. God has got a universal will. He's got a purpose. He's got, God is moving. 
The second thing that how you relate to the will of God, and, and that's where we sometimes in the modern church get it a bit wrong because we think like God has only got a will for my life. We tell people, oh, you have, you have such a purpose. But I don't read that in scripture. You have no purpose. God has a purpose. God has a will. And he invites you to be part of that. It's called the kingdom of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So take the pressure off yourself to have this ooh, unique purpose. Because you're going to fail. I'm going to fail if we try to be so individualistic. The second thing is to enter into a voluntary state of entire subjection to that will. I submit myself to that will. I want to be like that horse that says, God, not my will, but your will. I, I need to enter to say, God, willingly, because of what you have done and your will on the cross that you gave up, I'm going to surrender to that will because it's good, it's pleasant, it's perfect. And the best place for me in this life is to be in his will. So we had this moment when we were on these little ships there somewhere between all the thousands of islands, going from the one island to another one, and we, we had to cover a lot of them. So it ended up that we ran out of time. So the last island we had to go to is like a little, little boat. It's called a speedboat, but it's not really a speedboat, but in their terms it is. And so now we had to travel with these three boats, 30 of us, in the darkness, in the open sea, and you can see nothing. They just have a little spotlight. So we get onto the boat, and here we go. You don't really know where the land is. You sort of know it's there on the left. Fortunately, the moon was out a little bit, and here we go, and the waves are crazy. And we are soaking wet. Everything is wet, and we go. Now, now, now you realize, like, everybody in the boat is a bit tense, you know? Nobody wants to say it because it's a group of men, so the ego is big and all that stuff. You know, but eventually we just like, if, if all else fails, worship, <laughs> you know, we just cry out to God. So we just started to worship. It was probably the most blessed moment in a long time in my life. Just being soaking wet, ice cold, feeling you're going to die. You don't, don't even know if you're going to make it for the next hundred meters. And then you start to worship the Lord and you realize like, wow, okay. I've read that little part where Jesus is in the boat, but hallelujah, he's in this boat too. <laughs> you get to that place where you are not in control and suddenly it's just dark and it's this and the sea is like crazy and all that stuff what comes out is it worship or is it moaning complaining fear and so to submit to that will being in that boat and say god you have a perfect will and we're straight in it and we, we had some crazy times just after we left that part the house where we slept burnt down within a half an hour the whole house burnt down so the devil really tried to get, get to us. But hey, you just laugh at the devil when you know you're in the will of God. I mean, some of you don't know that it's God's will that you study here. So you panic around every corner and you study and study hard. But study with God. And you're going to have peace. You're going to realize like there's more to Stellenbosch than just you being afraid all the time. God actually wants to teach you some stuff as you hear you hear for a greater purpose so once you sub submit to that will and say wow i know it's a good god's will is perfect for my life for this time that i'm living in for the kingdom of god you commit yourself to serve god because accepting it is easy and 
submitting to that. Well, yeah, 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 it's great. But once, now you have to commit, you have to make a decision. I want the food of God in my life. And nothing else will satisfy me but to live for him and do his will. Then comes the obedience. To live in an obedient lifestyle. Now, we had this one moment, I shared the story this morning where we went into this church and we were starting and we just realized like, whoa, there's a lot of witchcraft in this area. There's a lot of stuff coming. So as we walked into the church, I said to guys, okay, guys, each one, we're going to pray right through the church as we're sitting in the church service because there's stuff happening. And so we divided groups and so we started to pray. And just as the worship started, I said to the guys, look here, pray for the interpreter. The devil is gunning for her. She's the pastor's wife and she was the interpreter. Two minutes after she started to interpret, she went completely deaf. She couldn't hear a word. So we prayed for her. Her ears opened up again. Five minutes after she, I started to preach, she said, something is strangling me. I can't breathe. And she started to like want to gag. You know, she couldn't talk. And then you lay hands on her and you think like, hallelujah. I love it when God's plan comes together. Because he told us these things haven't happened. I'm not caught by surprise, but I realize there's a spiritual war going on. So then we step up because the Holy Spirit helps us. We're yoking with God. I'm not, oh, everything is full. Jesus, where are you? You A lot of people say, oh, Lord Jesus, just please be with me. And he says, go and make disciples of all the nations and lo, I will be with you. So if you're in the will of God to make disciples, because that's our main call here is to worship him and to make disciples. Then he says, I will be with you. Lord, what's your will? Go into all the nations. Make disciples. Teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you. So we pray sometimes prayers that are not scriptural. Oh, Lord, please be with me. Oh, Lord, I'm going to write a test. Please be with me. As if he's never there or as if you switch him on. And say, thank you, Lord, you are with me. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. And you promise to stand. And so then suddenly your life becomes a life of obedience. Not by, oh, I'm so panicking, what I'm gonna. And you know what? Even if you sometimes just make a choice, God will bless that choice. I'm not talking about sin now, okay? Oh, I'm gonna go to the pub and I'm gonna drink five beers and then, oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. But sometimes we don't know the details, but when you step out in obedience, do you know what's going to happen? God is going to bless the choice you make because why? You want to seek his kingdom first. So let your motto just be, Lord, kingdom first. Kingdom first. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Then you know what, God, that's the story of so many people. They made so many mistakes. God chose so many imperfect people, but it was a surrendered people. It was a worshiping people. Are you with me? Because that yoke is so easy. It's, a, it's not a burden that is heavy, Jesus said. It's an easy burden, but you have to take up that burden. And some of you tonight, you are running away from the will of God for your life. You think like, well, when I'm 40, do you know what? Then, then I'm going to start to serve God fully. The devil is conning you out of being satisfied in God. The devil is lying to you and he's the father of lies. He wants to keep you out of faith. He wants to keep you out of just living fully for God. Because there's a lot of people, you know, out there in the world, they say, no, 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 you, you just don't be so radical for the Lord. What nonsense. What nonsense. 
the, in essence, the Christian, the word for Christian is little Christ. It's the radical ones. <laughs> when I read the Bible, I just think, like, whoa, Lord, what a standard. I want to live that. I want to walk on water, Lord. I want to see these things that they saw. And you said greater things. Whoa, bring it on, Jesus, with you. <sighs> that was a good place to say amen. So let's look, talk about Nehemiah. There were five things, and I want you tonight, the Lord told me that there's some people that's going to be set free. There were five things that came against Nehemiah as he was going now, stepping out in obedience. Because the moment when you step out in obedience to say, yes, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not asking you just to bless me and be with me and go through life and prosper me so that at the end of my life, when I'm good enough, then I can start to serve you. No, the moment when you step out, Nehemiah had this burden, he had this call, he had no way, and then he was just, and the king said to him, hey, but what's happening? Why are you looking so downcast? And he says, well, how can I live in the palace while the city of God is in ruins? And the king says, okay, an unsaved king <laughs> helped him. He says, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm going to help you. Rebuild those walls. So God had so much favor on Nehemiah, and then he went, and ooh, then, the moment when you say yes, all hell will break loose. Because the devil is not scared of normal, compromising, not saying normal, just compromising Christians. And the biggest threat on this campus, let me tell it to you, is not unsaved people, it's not the Satanists, it's not the drunkards, it's Christians that compromise. Because once you compromise the word of God, you lose the power of God in your life. There's no power to set people free. There's no power to heal people. There's no power for deliverance. The moment when you start to live a compromising life, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. God loves you, but there's no power in your life. But the moment when you say yes to the burden of God over your life. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.